0: The following sermon is from Grace City Church, located in DY, Sydney, Australia. If you'd like to know more about us, head to gracecitychurch.net. Man, what a privilege to be here with you, and it's so nice Thing as Mike said, i was. Rover and Stringy Bark 10 years ago and there are folks here I know who are, I look out and they're old for old friends uh, and of course I know there are many others who I don't know from Adam or uh, you probably don't know me from Adam. Well, there's Adam over there but, uh, <laughs> but you don't you won't know who I am so I thought I'd better just introduce myself really. I am Pete as uh, Mike says and I've got a little thing here to show you of my family. Is it going to work? Oh put it on Pete, put it on. Oh, that's my family, that's my family, they couldn't be here with you. At the top is the lady I'm married to and her name is Julie, Julie, she's, uh, she's beautiful, she's up there and then below her are my three sons and the, the, the wives, two of my boys are married. So there's Leah and Jamie on, on your right and below them is their little daughter. Uh, who's just three and a half months old. Her name's Tapia. And then in the middle is Sam and Stacy. I know some of you will know them very well from camps and so on. And their grandson is just below them. And then there's Tom on your left. Uh, uh, and some of you will know them. Because it's great having camps in the past, New Day. And we're all family, really, family of churches. And... Uh, So yeah, our our oldest grandchild. uh, See, I talk about grand. I'm not used to the term yet that I have grandchildren, and to be honest, it was a major crisis for me. I have to say, becoming a grandfather, um, because I thought, well, friends of mine who were grandparents said, "Pete, it's going to be great. You're going to enjoy it." But I couldn't imagine how I could. You know, I thought grandfather means. You know, winding down. You know, I had a kind of a midlife crisis and then realized I was too old for a midlife crisis and went to a late life crisis thinking, oh no, I'm getting old. I'm, I'm moving into old age, I was thinking at the time. So Julie told me to grow up and stop being silly. And, uh, and, and actually, it's wonderful. I've so enjoyed being a granddad. I really love it. I just, you know, it's only early, early days, but I so enjoy it. And um, I can recommend it, highly recommend it, so it's not as traumatic as I thought it might be. Um, but um, hey, it's good, it's good. So that's my, that's my family, that's my fam, my whanau, and uh, uh, just so good to be with you and feel part of the family here as well. And um, Peter a while ago asked me, as uh, I was coming over, he said, oh, you, you couldn't do, um, follow a theme on the Holy Spirit. And uh, over my three sessions, I thought, well, look, I'm really happy to. I'm really pleased to do that. Uh, I've always loved and longed for more of the presence of God, which is why I just love the songs. I mean, look at the presence of God and more and more of him. And, um, and if nothing else, I, I'm really praying that I want to impart some of my passion for this over these next three sessions. It's the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God amongst His people, and and my launch passage for all these sessions is, there's actually um it's actually Acts chapter two, and um you might like to turn to Acts two, and um you might not because I mean the words will appear or portions will appear on the screen, and uh, that's my launch passage for all of these sessions. Now I'm not focusing on any one particular passage over these sessions. I have to say that's that's what I would usually do, and we would tend to do that open up a passage. But because I'm following themes, we'll be darting around the place a little bit. Um, But there is this one passage in Acts 2, which is kind of my base passage for all. And I'm conscious of the fact that the minute I say Acts chapter 2, and we're talking about the theme of the Spirit, um, there's a kind of a temptation for folks to say, Ah, Pentecost, yeah, we know all about that. The Spirit coming, I know that. Uh, I know the passage very well. Um, which is kind of unfortunate because I know it's such a well-known passage that sometimes it kind of loses its edge or f- over-familiarity can, can be really quite difficult uh, and uh, we can miss some of the implications it has for us. It struck me the other day that it's a bit like the national anthem, really. You know, the Rugby World Cup, I trust that you've all been watching that. No, no I, well, some of you have been watching that and uh, some of us will be watching that probably early tomorrow morning. Uh, Rugby World Cup. Anthems all the time, you know, before the game. Anthems, anthems, and uh, but it's amazing—you never really think about the words of your national of your national anthem. My goodness, look at that, Mike. Was that you doing that on purpose? I never trust Mike. I'm waiting for a snake to be put in my room. A python. Oh, thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. I trust you. I don't trust Mike. But it's like the words of your national anthem. Who knows the words of your national anthem? Well, you probably do. Um, but I was thinking about this a while ago when I was in a rugby game, not playing. I was in the audience. There was forty thousand of us, and I think we were watching the All Blacks play the Wallabies play Australia. And uh, and I was in New Zealand, so there we are—a vast sea of black, all in our black kit. And then just across the aisle on my left were some Aussies, the Australian contingent. There was about there was about. There's about 20 of them, all in gold. And uh, there they are. And, they, and, they were, and they'd already been drinking and misbehaving. So typical of Australians, <laughs> I thought. So they're already half cup. And then, of course, the anthem starts. So they're up there in our Advanced Australia Fair. They're shouting at everybody. And, uh, of course, when it comes to us singing our national anthem, 40,000 standing up and almost pointing at them, You know, we're, we're singing our anthem at them. And, of course... The words in our anthem, there's one line that says, in the bonds of love we meet. <laughs> but our attitude and everything else was, we're gonna kill you, we're gonna kill you. <laughs> and it just struck me again, just how, how we can lose the content of what we know well. And, uh, and that can be a little bit like Acts chapter 2, you know, we know it so well, I wonder if we know it at all anymore. And we can miss out something that I believe if we could get a handle on would blow us away, change our lives and bring our churches into a whole new experience of God. Yeah? So even this morning I want to try and recover something of what is truly going on in this event with the church in mind. I'm going to ask God to help us. So let's just pray. Hallelujah. Oh Lord, so good to be with you. So good to sense your presence as we worship. Oh, So good just to be aware of how transcendent you are. And yet aware, Lord, that we are being changed to be more like you. Oh Lord, thank you so much for your calling of us. And Lord, I thank you for your presence and your Holy Spirit. And I pray, please come upon us so that as we speak about these things, you would put them deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excellent. So we're going to read this little portion of Scripture, my base passage in this amazing event. And um, I'm going to put up on the screen. I want you to join in with me. Oh, that's not it. I've gone backwards. That's upside down. Oh, can you read that? Of course you can read that. Can I read that? Let's have a go at reading that, shall we? All right, let's just see what happens. Anybody got your any binoculars? Or look in your Bibles. We're going to read it from, from the NIV. We're going to read it out. I want you to join in because I want you to just get the power again of these words. So we're going to try and read that, okay? So here we go. Then Peter stood up, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. Wow. So much going on in these verses. And over the next three sessions, um, We'll look at this event from a number of different angles. But again, in this session, want to look at it from the angle of the local church. Because if we could really get hold of what's going on here, it'll change your whole appreciation of what you do as you gather in a camp like this, or on a Sunday morning, or in a small group, or around somebody's dinner table. I believe it can change us. All right? So, but to get across what's going on, I need to turn you to another time in the history of Israel in the Old Testament. All right? a time that i would argue is the most terrible moment in all their history in the old testament the most terrible moment and that's saying something because as you know the jews have a very long history in the old testament and there are many bleak moments we could choose i mean you could you could choose uh, you could mention the uh, when in the book of exodus when the male babies were being killed by the egyptians that was a very bleak moment in fact, you could probably mention the slavery of the Israelites under the Egyptian rule in Exodus. That's a bleak moment. You could um, you could talk about the judges, the period of the judges, because of all the instability and chaos. So that was a bleak period. You could talk about the splitting of the kingdom into two, the northern and the southern kingdom. You could talk about the destruction of the northern kingdom when the Assyrian armies came down and annihilated the northern kingdom of the Jews. You could you could talk about that, that was very bleak. You could also talk about the destruction of the southern kingdom if you wanted to, you know, the, the Babylonian armies, they come down and they wipe out the southern kingdom. They destroy Jerusalem. They burn the temple and then send the rest of the Jews who haven't already been sent off. The rest of the Jews are sent into exile back into the heart of Babylon. That was a very bleak moment too. You could pick any one of these moments and they'd be in the top five, right? But I want to put it to you that there is a worse moment than all of these. Even worse. And the irony is is that no one is even aware that this terrible event is happening except for one man. And it's found here in Ezekiel chapter 10. And Ezekiel is the man. And it says in Ezekiel 10, he's got a vision from God and he sees Jerusalem and he says this. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple. That's it. I put it to you that that's the worst moment in Old Testament history when God just quietly withdraws from among his people and leaves them to it. It's the worst moment because Israel's sin, as you know, and their rebellion had got so bad that it reached a point when God finally said, enough, enough, that's it. And on that day, he left and no one saw it. He departed the glory or the presence of the Lord rose and quietly left. And you've got to understand the departure of God from off his people like this is massive. It's massive because, of course, God being among his people is the highest plan of God for his people. It was always his aim for God to be among his people. And you can see it right back in the days of the Garden of Eden, of course. When God creates Adam and Eve, when God creates mankind, he doesn't just make them and send them into the garden and then wander off and create something somewhere else. No, we know that that frequently he walked with them in the garden. He was with them in the cool of the day. must have been amazing. Such a beautiful picture. And that's what he made us for. And then it's really interesting because even when sin eventually comes in and mankind is cut off from the presence of God, God then establishes a way to continue to be amongst them. Alright? They can't come back into the garden, but he goes out amongst them still. And, uh, and that's what the tabernacle and the temple and the sacrificial system is really all about, isn't it? It's a way to enable God to be among his people without wiping them out by his holiness and their sin. And so in the tabernacle and later on in the temple, what you've got is a room, a little room called the holy place or the most holy place. And in that most holy place, you've got this box called the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. And on the lid of that box is the presence of God, the Presence of God, literally His presence. Now, it's not all of God, of course, because He fills and is beyond all things. But in terms of quality, alright, in terms of essence and intensity, it's God Himself in all of His holiness and glory. But of course He's, He's hidden away and no one can come near Him without being killed on the spot. So he's hidden away in this little room. I mean, imagine having God among you like that. It must have been quite stressful, in fact, to know that power is so close to you. I remember when I was a little boy, uh, we lived near one of those big um, um, transformer towers. You know those big towers that that you see them across the countryside? The cables, massive cables, high voltage cables to power villages and towns or whatever. And uh, we lived near one of these big towers about, I don't know, 60, 70 feet in the air. And, uh, you know, and, of course, all around it is a fence around the, around the you know, the, the foot of this tower with keep off and um, skull and crossbones and, you know, um, danger, danger, which, of course, to any 12-year-old boy is like, come to me, come to me. <laughs> so I remember uh, me and my friends, we'd get as close as we could to this tower. And I remember the feeling that I had was that the closer I got, you could hear it hum. You could hear this hum, and so, you thought, there is real power within inches of me. Wow! So uh, you know, we get the bits of straw out, and we try and touch the foot of this tower, thinking that would be it. And uh, we'd be daring each other and this kind of thing, and uh, we touched it, and we weren't killed, but wow, why? You know? <laughs> but the point was, you're in such close proximity, and I wonder if that wasn't a bit like how it was in the... You know, in the tabernacle, because you've got this holy place. I mean, if you're outside the tabernacle and you kick your football over the over the fence into the most holy place, you wouldn't go in and get it, all right? You really wouldn't. And I wonder if there was a bit like how it was. And certainly, there were moments when God had to remind His people not to mess about with His presence. And so that in Leviticus 10, we read about Aaron's sons who start messing about with the presence of God. And they start concocting their own kind of little incense and stuff. Hey, let's try this color. And they kind of mix it up. And they come before God. And then we read this happens, right? This happens. Oh, you can't read that, can you? Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their senses, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be on it. And then you've got that one little line, Aaron remained silent. It's one of those powerful lines, isn't it? You think his sons are dead before him, but he will not say a thing. It was awesome, the presence of God amongst them. How fearful it was to have the presence of God among them. Now, of course, of course, the point of having God among them actually was to care for them and to bless them and to guide them and to protect them. And there were other times when to have God among them like this must have been just the most amazing thing. And we all know that passage, don't we, in Chronicles when, when Solomon is dedicating the new temple and there he is, and he's praying, asking God to come and bless the temple. And so God comes amongst them, and it says this. It says, um, oh, wrong one, sorry. There we go. So Solomon, he, he kind of dedicates the temple. This is accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. The singers raise their voices in praise to the Lord and saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. I mean, man, can you imagine that happening here? I mean, the glory coming in visible physical expression. As we were worshipping, you'd imagine the band falling in amongst themselves, clattering of instruments, chairs going over. We on our faces, the glory of the Lord coming into the house of God. It must have been amazing. It must have been phenomenal. The presence of God was their privilege. And you see, to have the presence of God among them like this is what made them the people of God. It was the thing that marked them out from all other people so that Moses says in Exodus 33, he says, What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth but your presence? I like what Gordon Fee says. Gordon Fee says this, Whatever else... The people of Israel understood themselves to be the people of the presence. The people among whom the eternal God had chosen to dwell on earth. More even than the law or other identity markers such as circumcision, food laws and Sabbath observance, God's presence with Israel distinguished them as the people. That was the identity marker. It was the presence. Later on it became the circumcision and the law. But before then, actually, in spite of it, it was always the presence. That was the identity marker. That was the point. And so can you see to have a day come when God says, enough, I'm departing. It's catastrophic. It's terrible. And no one sees him leave. Although people soon see afterwards the immediate consequences because, of course, after he leaves... The Babylonians come in, they destroy Jerusalem, they burn the temple, and they lead the rest of the folks off into exile. That's the result. And the thing is this, the thing is this. God never came back, right? God never came back. He never came back. Now, I know the history of the Old Testament continues, and yes, God continued to look after his people, But his presence never returns. And even when the exiles return and prophets were raised up and a temple was rebuilt, God never came and filled it. And in fact, very soon after that, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, after the rebuilding of the second temple, things continued to go downhill again. And... uh, And the people of God go off track and they get more and more distracted. And so by the time when Malachi ends, the last book of the Old Testament, things are looking pretty bleak again for the people of God. And the Old Testament ends on a pretty low note. God hasn't returned. And then four centuries roll by. Right, right, four centuries rolled by. Now, I know politically a lot of things happen, but spiritually it's a, it's a dead period. Now, I'm not going to get into the Apocrypha and other things that were written at the time. The reality is, from our perspective, it was dead spiritually in the sense that God did not speak. For four centuries, that's like from our day back to Shakespeare's, there was no voice from God, nothing spoken. He's absent until one day we read... God sent the angel Gabriel to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man after four centuries. I just love that. And again, it's so quiet, so low-key. No one knows what's going on, but it's like the wheels of heaven are beginning to turn again. And they roll and they touch the earth again. And Jesus, Emmanuel, walks the earth. It's massive. But look, you've got to understand, Jesus' coming is not an end in itself, and even his death is not an end in itself, but it's a means. As Jesus hangs there on the cross and takes our sin and the punishment for our sin, the way is open for God to dwell among his people again. And so Jesus dies, the curtain is torn in two, and it's like God saying, the way is open, I'm on the way back. And guys... The day of Pentecost is the return, all right? The day of Pentecost. It's God moving back in amongst his people. It's the coming of the Spirit. Gordon Fee's very good on this. He says, The Spirit is the experienced, empowering return of God's own personal presence on and among us. The coming of the Spirit marked the return of the lost presence of God. And that's what Pentecost really is. But of course, this time, the coming of God is not like it was in the Old Testament. Back then, the presence of God was locked away in a little room and hidden. But of course, not anymore because Jesus has dealt with our sin. God is among us. Tim Keller, I love Tim Keller, he says this, The same divine glory that would have been fatal to Moses on contact now comes into the hearts of those pardoned by Christ. We can have hearts to praise, sing, and pray to a God with a joy and reality that neither David nor John the Baptist could know. God will not merely build us a house. He will make us his house. He will fill us with his presence, beauty, and glory. Amen? (laughs) I love this. This is the coming of the Spirit. And that's what's going on in Acts chapter 2. is God coming back among his people. It's massive because it's into this context that the church is born, all right? The church. Because, of course, it's the church, the gathered community, that becomes the temple of God on earth. And then Paul, of course, is very aware of this, and he says in Ephesians 2, he says, look to the Ephesians, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And he says to the Corinthian church, which is really a struggling church, he says, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? The same divine glory that would have been fatal to Moses is amongst you. Can you see this is so different from the times when uh, Zechariah's day, when the, when the second temple was being built? You know, they rebuilt the temple, but it remained empty. Now we, the church, are the temple and we are to be full. That's the point. And that is why I have a very high view of the local church. I love the local church because it's called to be nothing less than the house of God. It's a stairway to heaven. It's the colony of glory where people encounter the presence of God. That's the point. That's the point. And uh, I know, to be honest, that would be my story. I I got saved as a teenager um, from a totally unchurched, pagan background. Never walked into a church in my life, uh, nor had my parents. Uh, And I still remember... Uh, as a 15- or 16-year-old, just going for a walk one night, and uh, I felt something say to me, you need to go to church now. And uh, for me, back then, church was an old building full of old people singing old hymns. Uh, But I thought, I need to go, I need to go. And um, thank God I walked into a church very similar to this one, and uh, I remember sitting down, and then they began to lead the worship. The worship started, and I got saved on the spot. I was the easiest convert out. (laughs) Looking back, I think, why couldn't I put up more of a fight? You know, I think, you know, I was so easy. I mean, some people think, oh man, I don't understand. I don't understand why people come among us and they're not born again. I don't get it. And it's also why I love worship. And actually, why worship is so important. Yes, we're glorifying God. But there's far more than that going on as we glorify him. It is actually the presence of God coming amongst his people. I thought this morning was glorious. And that's what happened to me. I met God. as in the second song. I thought, I'm home. Who is he that I might follow him? You know, it was as simple as that. I went home that night, bought a Bible, started to evangelize my friends, and I had no knowledge at all. In fact, I still remember saying to my friends, you need to be circumcised to be saved. (laughs) The only saving grace in that is that none of us knew what circumcision meant. <laughs> I knew nothing, but I had encountered the living God, his presence. And I would grow in knowledge, obviously, hallelujah. But um, the fact is that I encountered God. And so this is important. Grace City Church, this is your calling. It's, you, are, you are the house of God. The expectation is that you are to be full. The expectation is that those that others long for in the Old Testament, that we might know this God who's hidden away. No, he's revealed to you. Hallelujah. I have a high view of the local church. So the next important question is, well, okay, hear what you're saying, Pete. In the light of this, how do we respond to this as a church here in Sydney? How do we respond? Well, there are a couple of obvious ways, and i 'd like to put it out there. Number one <laughs> number one, we recognize there is more for us of god 's presence than we have. There is more for us i 'm so conscious you see it 's so easy for us to casually tick off the box. We are a charismatic spirit filled church. We can tick that box so casually because after all, we have a history. And uh, we speak in tongues, and um, we bring the old prophecy, and we, and we pray for sick people uh, occasionally. So therefore, we are now New Testament church, fully charismatic. Um, can I just suggest we don't want to casually claim that so easily? You know, we've got that. We're charismatic. Let's focus on something else now. The mission. Look, I, the mission is charismatic, actually. The mission is critical. But don't feel that we've already ticked something off here. See, the danger is if we're not careful, we can read our present experience such as it is back into the New Testament and claim we are doing what they were. Yes, we're an Acts 2.42 church. That's us. And I've had people say that to me. We're an Acts 2.42 church. And I'm thinking, really? Acts 2.42? What does it say? What are some of the things that Acts 2.42 actually says? Here's some of the things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Folks, I just want to suggest that Acts 2.42 is not simply an amped up version of us on a good Sunday. (laughs) All right? It's bigger than that. It's talking about a much deeper experience of the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, you cannot fully understand the New Testament unless you first appreciate that the book of Acts was written in the backdrop of the greatest outpouring of the Spirit. I mean, that passage, it talks about things like awe, awe. It talks about many wonders and miracles, people being added daily. This is what it looks like to have God fully back amongst his people. I had someone one Sunday morning, they were visiting us, and um, they didn't even get in the doorway. They were running across the car park, and they were shouting at me, are you a charismatic church? Um, and I thought, I thought for a second, and then I had to shout back, it depends (laughs) and uh, and then she said on what I said well it depends on where you've come from maybe where you come from we, we may be charismatic but listen compared to the New Testament where God wants to take us not fully yet but we're on the way that's where we're going we're on a journey Look, we've had glimpses, we've had touches, precious and wonderful, but I'm still going for more. I know from my reading of the Bible, there is more than what we've seen. More of what it means to have God's presence amongst his people. I long for awe to be experienced among us again. A few verses after Acts 2.42, two people die in the church. We could do with a few more deaths. (laughs) Just joking. But you know what I mean. I know it's not good for evangelism, that kind of thing. but No, it's not that. It's about the presence, isn't it? It's about the awe of God. It says that after that moment, great fear fell upon them all. I bet it did. It's the awe of the presence of God. Look, there are times, aren't there? I'm not saying there are not. There are times when we've touched this, haven't we? I still remember... Many years ago, my first encounter with that was back in the 1980s. The vineyard had just really come into the UK. There'll be some here who probably remember, Stephen Ruth, you may remember, uh, Wembley Arena. 10,000 of us in there. And uh, we were worshipping, and I was up on the balcony just worshipping, aware of so many people in the hall. We were just worshipping. And then I'll never forget the feeling when at the back of the hall, it's like God walked in. Uh, And all I can describe it as is that the holy presence of God began to move down the hall. We weren't expecting it. We weren't asking for it. We were just worshipping. Suddenly, row on row, you could mark it. I was following it down the hall as the presence came. And as it hit each row, there were shrieks and yells and healings and deliverances as God moved down the hall. And I remember the hair on the back of my neck went up. And I thought, oh, the Lord is here. And, uh, and it was transforming, and it was wonderful, the sense of God filling his house. It was beautiful. I remember a, a few months after that, again, in another auditorium, we brought some street kids with us. We were out there doing evangelism, uh, and there was about uh, five or six late teens um, rowdy, fed up, wanting, you know, fidgety, wanting to mock and whatever. They came in, worship started, God moved into the room. And again, same thing, the power and the presence of God. And I remember looking at them, their eyes were as big as saucers as they realized that someone far bigger than them had just come in. And uh, the awe of God, I, I long for that again in our churches, don't you? I hate it that the church is looked on as irrelevant and, and nothing to say. No, there is more to come. Look, I praise God for what we see. I, I praise God for it. But it's a foretaste of more, isn't it? It's a foretaste. which my appetite. For more of his presence we're called to experience among us. So guys, what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. Man, we pray. We cry out to our God, knowing that God has called us and is seeking to put this among us. And so we seek his face in response. I love Isaiah 62. The Isaiah passages are beautiful for this. Isaiah 62, God says, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They'll never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Oh, that gets me praying that passage because that's where we're going. It's that the church, the people of God might be seen as the praise of the earth again. All right, and that's still to come. So we pray. We pray. We don't stay content with where we, what we've experienced. We press in for more. That's one thing we do. That's how we respond to this. It's one thing. All right. The other thing, number two, uh, and this is bigger these days than ever, is simply this we refuse to be a church that is merely open to the gifts. It's an interesting phrase. I, I sometimes hear that. Yes, we are open to the gifts. Uh, in fact, I had this conversation with some uh, some of the, the leaders of a local church who were not that long ago who were wanting to come into New Frontiers. And, and so I was with them on that Sunday and um, just observing in the worship. And, uh, you know, it was fairly quiet, really, and not much really going on by way of contributions, particularly. Um, and so I was just asking them, what are their views? What are their beliefs about the Spirit and the things of the Spirit? Uh, and their response was, um, look, we're open to the things of the Spirit. Uh, and I said, well, what, what does that mean? So they said, well, well, look, if someone prophesies or speaks in a tongue, we allow that. And um, I remember I got, I think I may have got righteously angry at that point. because I remember saying to them, are you telling me you're merely open to the teaching of the Bible? Or open to love for each other, or open to being holy? Are you merely open to glorifying God? No, you're passionate for these things. We pursue them with all our hearts. So then, how can we merely be open to the things of the Spirit? When do we make that distinction? I don't get it. No, Paul doesn't say to the Corinthians, Be open to the gifts, church. He says, Eagerly desire the gifts. That's what he says. He's very strong. He's pursue them. Be passionate for them. What that means is that our gatherings, whether it's small groups, our prayer meetings, or even our Sunday morning meetings, we are looking for and encouraging the gifts of the Spirit. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, they are an expression of the presence of God. Back in his house. That's why they're so important. So can I urge you, wherever you are in this, time to press in for more. I loved it, the way Mike opened the meeting. Look, if you've got something, come on, you know, step forward, press in. Let that be our attitude. And can I just say, and this might surprise you, I think we need to fight for this again. I can remember the first church I ever led <laughs> back in 1987, I think, as a younger man. And I went into this church and half of them were anti the gifts of the Spirit or anti the Spirit, really. And the other half were pro. And I remember Sunday after Sunday where I would stand up on my own with my hands in the air, singing in the Spirit and prophesying on my own. And I knew that half of them behind me were going like this. And the other half were going, oh, oh, oh it's so good. Oh, we'd love to join you. And... Uh, And it was such a, it was such a battle every Sunday until we got the church through. But you know what? I think that battle is coming back. My fear is that we become a people of polish more than a people of presence. That's my concern. And yet it's his presence that will distinguish us and draw people to God. Look, I understand the need to do things well. Please, I'm so for that, especially on a Sunday morning when we talk about numbers and uh, maybe multi-venues and different meetings. Look, I, I, I get it. I'm for it. I want, I want I want, excellence on our Sunday morning gatherings totally. But some churches I've walked into, they, they treat the, the manifestation of the Spirit like the embarrassing uncle, you know? Just keep him out of the room. Don't let people meet the embarrassing uncle. <laughs> keep him in the prayer meeting, you know? Keep him... Keep him under wraps. No, no, no. He's not the embarrassing uncle. He's the presence of God. Now, I I know we need to work it well. I know that how we display that or how we feel that is important. Please, don't mishear me. But it's presence, isn't it? It's always the presence. Can I again just commend you? I thought this morning was beautiful. Uh, I thought, oh, hallelujah. This is precious, precious and Rare. We need to fight for more. We need to fight for this. It's so important. Guys, we have an amazing calling as the church. We're not living in the years between the Old and the New Testament. We're not living in the years even prior to the, to the destruction of Jerusalem or, or in the Old Covenant where the presence was hidden and not to be touched. We're living in the days when God's presence has returned and the local church has been created to house that. So let's press and let's pray for more on our worship, on our gatherings, on our communities, and let's step out in ways that we've never done. I love Isaiah 16, another favorite of mine these days, where arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Hallelujah. The glory of the Lord is to arise on us, and nations will come. That's your calling. That is our calling. That's ultimately what it's about. Look, it's not a million miles away from us. We've got a lovely uh, African guy in our church from Lagos originally in uh, Nigeria. Now, I know Nigeria is famous for all kinds of crazy stuff and uh, all kinds of crazy churches too, um, but I don't think he comes from a crazy church actually. Uh, he comes from a church that meets in there in, a, um, in, in that large urban area, the uh, Lagos. He, he, he's, he was raised there then went to the UK and lived there for a while and then came to us. Uh, but he's always showing me video cl- clips of what it's like back home in Lagos. And he, and he showed me this photo a while ago. And, and here it is. This is his church. It's the redeemed church of God there in L- 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 Lagos. And, and you know it fades off into the d- distance? Well, that's because there's two million in this prayer gathering. There's <laughs> two million. So if you're at the very back and you want to respond, you have to catch a bus. <laughs> you do. You catch a little bus. I want to respond, Lord. (laughs) This is what you do. And they have seen such displays of the power of God. And this guy, Dally, tells me, you know, Pete, it's amazing because all the government, the politicians, turn up every Sunday now. Not because they're asked, but because they know where the people are. And they have to be there. Kings will come to the brightness of your dawn. And in London, you're living in London, and of course the Redeemed Church of God is there too. And so here's some guy here, I'm sure you recognize, uh, Mr. David Cameron, the Prime Minister, is speaking to a large crowd which happens to be in the big Olympic indoor hall in London to the Redeemed Church of God, 10,000 of them. And it's not that they asked him to come, it's that David Cameron says, can I please come? It's election year, can I come? And kings will come to the brightness of your dawn. I long for that in New Zealand. I am gagging for it. I'm thirsty for it. You know, I get the, every now and then the local MP says, can I come on Sunday? And I say, at the moment, I say, no. I don't want you to try and politicize my people. No. But I know there'll come a day when others will come. But they'll come to the rising of his dawn. They'll come to the glory of God. They'll come to the presence of God. Not our polished performance, but the presence of God. We're going for that, aren't we? That's what we're praying for. That's what we're going for. I'm praying that for our churches. Look, oh, I'm praying for it. In New Zealand, here we go. We're four and a half million people in New Zealand. Uh, and we, in our, our New Frontiers family, there's five little churches. We've got to see more churches planted. Sydney, four and a half million There's some great churches in Sydney, I know. But you have a contribution to make. What will it be? Well, I think amongst other things it is grace, biblical truth, life in the spirit, plurality of leadership, eldership, true community, grace-filled community, and a recovery of the presence of God. You want to pray that with me? Let's just stand. Can we just stand this first session?